It's episode 24 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinski, and joining me, as usual, are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. Uh, this week, we will continue to talk about inaction around Major League Baseball. What do you think of that, Ryan? I'm bored by it. Well, that's very sad. It's really all we have at this point. Well, I mean, we have good questions. We have lots of good questions we do. this week. No, no, no. There's legitimately good questions. It's just unfortunate that it's not about something that has happened. Yeah. Blame Scott Boris. Like everybody always does for everything. Just Boris. Just Boris. Okay. It's just him. <laughs> One dude. Well, you can rate and review Milwaukee's Tailgate on iTunes. It helps fans find the podcast, so take a minute, leave five stars, and write something nice about us. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and MixPre-6. For more information, visit SoundDevices.com. So, uh, as I was saying, still no action so far this offseason. JP, does that surprise you? Or, I mean, is just something we should expect? Everybody's going to sign right before spring training. Well, I, I think that this would have shocked me prior to the offseason. But at this point, I mean, <laughs> that at certain points this winter, I've forgotten that it's the baseball offseason. <laughs> um, so, it's just kind of a, a holding pattern, I think, until... I honestly, I know that everybody's talking about the fact that, you know, one or two people holding up the entire market isn't the way it is. And I understand it's a larger systemic issue. And we can talk about, uh, you know, the Yahoo article from from Passan if, if uh, you know, that comes up. But it still is one of the issues until somebody like J.D. Martinez or somebody like you, Darvish or Arietta sign. Everyone is going to sit out. Um because you're you are going to to let one of the kind of the big fish, I suppose, set the market. Because the only people that have had the market set thus far are relievers, which is why you've seen the vast majority of relievers go off. Everything else has has not had the market set for it yet. So everybody's still trying to hold out as long as possible. Well, is that partly because they're just shorter term deals? For for relievers? Yeah. Relievers are signing two, maybe three years if it's a long deal, where the rest of these guys are looking for five at a minimum, probably six to seven. Well, I think the vast majority of the reason why the relief market kind of moved much more quickly was that there are more teams that are willing to buy. I mean, it, it's not a situation in which, you know, if you're J.D. Martinez right now, you've basically got Boston as the only team that really wants to sign you. And so you're trying to wait out for Boston to be. It's been reported right now that uh Boston has about a five year, hundred million dollar contract on the table that's been disputed. But. Right now, J.D. Martinez knows that's the only real person contending. Boston knows that they're, that they're the only team that's really interested in buying J.D. Martinez. So they're just they're in a standoff right now uh, where you still have. I mean, the, the Brewers were interested in in getting uh, a reliever. You had obviously the Rockies were interested in getting relievers. You had the Twins interested in getting relievers. You had even the Mets were interested in buying relievers. So you had a situation in which you had more, many more teams like a normal offseason, like a normal free agency season. And so that's the only position in which we've seen anything move because that's the only one that seems to be working like normal. How much is are the rumors of the Brewers like kicking the tires on Lorenzo Cain or who else they connected with recently? Uh, Moustakis. Moustakis, yeah. You know, third base, center field positions they kind of have covered. How much of that is just like Stern saying – Sure, nothing's moving, so I'm going to see how cheap maybe these guys will come before you know completely dismissing it as an unnecessary move. I would say almost all of it. Like that's pretty much what that is: is just seeing where's the price point and like what can he do and what what sort of other options would that open up for them? Like if he were to make that move, he could then you know tra- sign one of those guys. He could then presumably trade another player and maybe bring back talent that way. So. It's just another way of moving pieces around the chessboard that it would be open to him if he decides to do it. But he's not going to do it unless the price is really right. Like he's looking for a very specific, very low price to be able to do that. 
I, I don't think it's so much contingent on the free agent market. I think if the Brewers came in with a good deal, whether it's for Kane, whether it's for Moustakas, I think they'd find somebody who's, you know, a agent and player who's ready to listen. I think it's much more contingent on they're trying to determine what the price points are so they can go out and shop people like Domingo Santana. They can go out and shop people like Travis Shaw to find out, is there a deal out there where I can get my starting pitching that way? If, if I don't need to go get my starting pitching, you know, via Chris Archer or pay money via Arietta, and I can pay money to, to Moustakas or, or Kane and I can pay less money that way and I can go get my young starter by trading an established hitter or a young hitter like Santana, then maybe we're going to do that. But I think that's something we've heard ever since the winter meetings that Stearns is out there. Uh, you know, some people have actually said they're actively shopping Domingo Santana. I don't think that that's necessarily true. Uh, I think they're willing to listen, but I think they're willing to be creative. They know that right now, if the Brewers are able to put some money up front or put some money on the table or years on the table, that they can be competitive in this free agency market right now because it's so depressed. And so what they're trying to do is see if that they see if they can leverage that to their to their. I don't know, I guess their benefit to see if they can move somebody like Shaw or somebody like Santana. But right now, again, what we've seen, nobody's coming to the table who wants to buy. And the only buddy, uh, the only team that really wanted to buy that we've seen for like somebody like Domingo Santana would be like the Giants. And again, the Brewers aren't going to get what they want from the Giants. So you're not in any situation in which that makes a whole lot of sense. But right now, when Stearns keeps saying that they have a lot of talks and a lot of things on the table, this is what he means. He's trying to see if anything can come together, whether you can see if a free agent uh, a free agent can be interested if you can move another player. But those things have to happen in tandem, which is why it's much more difficult to pull off. Okay, uh, well, we'll get to the questions, and this seems to be a theme uh, amongst Brewer fans. Um, Nick Zettel asks, if the Brewers fail to make a move, will the offseason be a success? When should Stearns face pressure to deliver a playoff team? So two separate questions there. First off, you know, uh, can they get through this offseason signing – you know, Giovanni Gallardo and uh, Chassin for the rotation and call that a success? I mean, they can call it a success. I don't know if it would be – it's not a. It's not the kind of offseason that you, you wow over. Um, I think there would be a lot of questions as to when we see what some of the guys sign for, when we see what a Jake Arrieta signs for, if he signs for, you know, uh, four years – or, yeah, four years and – a hundred million someplace. If that's what he ends up signing for, I think you could kind of, and the Brewers don't do anything else major. I think you could question that and say, the Brewers really couldn't have beaten that offer and come up with something that would, you know, compete with that and, and do that. But I mean, but theoretically the, the, you could do that. Right. But the thing is any kind of critique like that, you're assuming that Jake Arietta is just chasing the highest amount of money possible. And that you don't, that you're working under the assumption that if the Brewers came with a slightly better offer, the same offer that Jake Arietta would have accepted the Brewers offer instead of somebody else, whether he goes to the Yankees or the Cubs or, or whomever. And we see it again and again, that's not the way things work. Any kind of scenario in which you're critiquing an offseason based on the Brewers, not doing something because other teams did something you are not, that's not a viable critique. You don't know what options are on the table. You don't know what conversations are being had. You don't know what these free agents are even going after. So the entire idea of whether or not the offseason can be, a, can be evaluated to be a success or not, I mean, at best, all we can do is just throw out a wild guess. I mean, if we had an idea of what offers were turned down, what offers were made, you know, who was being... So, like, I get that at some level we have to be able to bring analysis to the table, that we have to be able to put a label on something because we have to, to move it forward. But at the same time, when it gets to the it, – it's the reason I say it is because of the corollary, it, it, the follow-up question, right? When should Stearns face pressure to deliver a playoff team? The, the, the point of the first question of if they fail to make another move, will the offseason be a success? The idea is that if you – we are judging whether or not Stern should be in the position as GM of the Milwaukee Brewers based on these things that we're trying to judge his success or failure and his fit for the position based off of, of, you know, what we deem as a success or what we deem as a failure. Well, or hold acceptable on, because which is, hold on, hold on. There's, which there's is ridiculous. A, yeah, it is. That's there's ridiculous. a contingent of Brewers fans and I'm not like 
crapping on people who think this, but there's a contingent of Brewers fans who think that they should be competing for a playoff spot in 2018. And so I think that's where some of the when when should he face pressure to deliver a playoff team? Is it now? And should he go out and overspend basically four players at this point because people want a playoff team now? Right. And I think it's it's yeah, the Brewers can contend for a playoff spot in 2018. The problem comes when you start putting labels like should on it. When you say this should happen, like like if you don't then so the opposite then is failure, right? The opposite. If you don't contend, it's failure. No. The Brewers can contend. There's no question that like there's there's viable paths for them to contend this season. But I think there's also reasonable paths where they don't contend this year. And it's not because David Stern screwed up. And it's not because they failed to do things. It's not because, you know, whatever. It's just because things went bad for them this season. Because there was some regression. There were some things that just didn't come together. And they're still largely a young team with a brighter future than they have a recent past. So well, and I think this goes go to bad. this goes to what we were talking about last week or was it last week when we were talking about bad bad moves in like Melvin's tenure basically. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and the point was, you know, basically building a contending team isn't necessarily linear. So just because they won in the mid 80s last season doesn't mean that they should automatically win 90 games this year. And trying to vault yourself up by making, you know, what at the time seems like a reasonable win now move is that's the type of move that can turn into a that was a bad move that, you know, hamstrung the franchise going forward. Well, and the other thing to recognize, too, if to like directly answer when should Stearns face pressure to deliver a playoff team when prior to any moves in the offseason, in my view, if prior to any moves in the offseason, you already have a core that can contend, that is expected to contend, then yeah, then any move that you're doing in the offseason, you are working from a baseline of contention. Um, and exactly what Steve's talking about, just because the Brewers were in contention last year doesn't mean that we should reasonably expect them to be in contention again next year. I think that most people, if you look at projection systems, if you if you talk to most Brewers fans, I think a lot of people know that kind of stars aligned last year for the vast majority of it. People don't expect uh, the same level of production from somebody like Chase Anderson, from somebody like Travis Shaw, from you know, oh, oh, Domingo Santana. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of things and, and places the Brewers could take a step back. Obviously, there are places that they could take a step forward as well. But you're in a space in which if if you are the Chicago Cubs right now and you expect to be in contention and you fail, that to me is a much more legitimate critique than it would be on somebody like David Stearns because he's not being able to take somebody who's a questionable contender and trying to vault him into a situation or trying to vault the team into a situation in which they're considered an unquestionable contender because we don't know what's happening and we don't necessarily know what's going into all of these calculations. So it, it becomes much more difficult to assess anything from that baseline than based on, you know, the team that's already holding over. But even then when a team like if the Chicago Cubs were to say, you know, not make the playoffs next year, or if they had not made it last year, I think that the proper thing to have done would have been to go, well, you had a contending team and you failed to contend. Therefore you clearly failed. And like, there has to be repercussions or some stupid thing like that. You look at why it happened. You go, what were the things that happened? Was it a load of injuries? Was it, you know, some guys took major steps back? Was it some stuff that you just couldn't foresee? And you try to, you know, adjust that going forward. You don't necessarily right. just go off with their heads because you didn't hit some arbitrary point that you think should exist. Like, that's right. Not but I'm saying, I'm just saying that that's much more reasonable critique than it is for a position like the Milwaukee Brewers. Right. And the Brewers are still in a position where you have so many young players that they are counting on where they need for the ultimate success that they're looking for. They need young players to step forward and produce. And we know everybody knows that doesn't necessarily happen on an even timeline. It doesn't happen necessarily as quickly as you hope it will. It doesn't, always work exactly the way you want it to. Do so. they have a core right now that we would say is a contending core going forward? And they have who, a playoff contending core. They don't have a, a team, My, in my opinion right now, they don't have a team that competes with 
the best five, six teams in baseball, six, seven, eight teams, whatever. I mean, they're not on the level of the Nationals, Cubs, Dodgers. No, and we, we've talked paper. about there, that. There's, that. A, there's a clear division between where they are and what those teams are. And that's not something that they could, unless they wanted to go out and literally take every top free agent of the market this year and, you know, sign the top six guys and, you know, go to like a $200 million payroll, they weren't going to become that team. There was nothing they could do to become that team. They could improve their odds, but they couldn't become, there was no way for them to, to vault themselves suddenly into that, that sphere. That, that's just not where they're at. You hope to get there in time, but you can't get there. They couldn't have done it this offseason. You couldn't. You know, there, there just wasn't a way to do that. Okay. Uh, well, Jacob Weber asks, with Stearns teasing a big move, what is your most realistic big move the Brewers will complete this offseason? Arietta. I mean, uh, right? Sure. It's Arietta. JP, you've, you've kind of hinted at you think Arietta is – at least he's gettable for the Brewers at this point. Yeah, I'll stay with that from last week. Yeah, okay. I mean, we already, yeah. But no, we all legitimately think that Jake Arietta could be a Milwaukee Brewer. That's not like, you know, Darvish is somebody we're kind of saying that's not going to happen. I, I, honestly, at this point, I think there's a better chance that Arietta's a Brewer than he's on any other team, not in the aggregate, not not Milwaukee versus the field, but Milwaukee versus any other individual team. I think Milwaukee's probably the favorite, unless somebody comes out of the dark that's been keeping them pretty quiet this off season and not letting people know. know? I think it's, I think it's much more likely that Arietta ends up with the Cubs again than it, than it does that he ends up with Milwaukee, but they've been pretty lukewarm about that. Or you think they've just been, they want, they, they want, they want Darvish. It's not that they're not interested in Arietta. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Uh, could the Brewers capitalize on a soft market by offering higher annual average annual value, but shorter term deals. So one or two years to players like Alex Cobb and Neil Walker and which players do you think are likely to take such a deal, if any, and that's from Scott Mulling. Uh, I mean, I, I honestly think that the Brewers are trying to do that. Um, so everybody's kind of doing that, aren't they? Is that I know what everybody's that, trying to do? Well, there are some teams that are trying to offer, I mean, either short-term high annual value or kind of longer-term lower annual value. Um, I mean, if 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 anybody hasn't read the the Jeff Passan article on uh, on Yahoo, I recommend it. But there was a team that he says an anonymous team said, if we could sign Lorenzo Cain for a one-year deal on $24 million, they would rather do that than do a long-term deal, which in some ways is a little bit jarring, right? Because like $24 million a year for, for Lorenzo Cain, but that's a one-year commitment. If you have the payroll space to be able to make that happen, that's actually not a very high-risk deal whatsoever. But if you're Lorenzo Cain, you're you're interested in a longer t- term contract and what Passan says is actually a one year deal is is one of the reasons why the players union kind of banded together to talk about this free agency in the first place like that's actually a danger and the, and the players union does they don't like one year deals you no. don't want to get in a position in which players are taking one year deal even if it's for a lot of money that's not the point Right, because Lorenzo Kane, if he can get a three-year deal and sixty million dollars, or a three-year deal fifty million dollars, that is a much better situation for him than a one-year twenty-four million dollars. He gets hurt, he plays badly, and then he can't capitalize the next season. Because you can't do that. The reason the one they don't like the one-year deals, it's basic, simple economics. They don't want players to continually be on the market because. If everybody starts, if more and more players start taking one-year deals, that means that there's more and more players on the market in a given offseason, which then increases supply, and you don't have the the scarcity that the union wants at that point. They want a scarce market where there's you can only go so many places to get your 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 player, and they, right. that's what they want because that's what drives the prices up. Right. And so if there's not a scarcity, if there's more supply on the market, then that becomes a problem. So, yeah. yeah. Now I do think that there's actually a pretty decent shot that somebody like Neil Walker ends up signing for two years um, just because of his age. I, I think that Alex Cobb, if you're Alex Cobb and you're getting a work and you're not getting as long of a deal as somebody like Mike minor 
or you're not getting a three-year deal like you know tyler chatwood like Something's to wrong. me that's ridiculous i say it's Cobb like, under 30 way under he's like I think, 28 yeah i think he's i would guess that that Cobb is 30 uh, whatever he's 28 and 30 if you guys want to look it up but yeah you would think well, but still, tw- twenty-eight to thirty. Yeah, if you're a guy he's like 30, that, he's thirty years old. I mean, oh, you okay. you want probably a five-year deal minimum if you're that age. If you're thirty, yeah. If I, you're well, thirty, I, that's what you're going for. I think most teams would probably want to sure. give him three, I think, maybe I think, four. Yeah, I think Cobb is probably and rightfully so, rightfully so, given his injury history and whatnot. I think he understands he's looking at a three-year deal. Oh yeah, well, but, but I'm saying what, what he would want. Yeah, that. what yeah. he would want. He's, he's probably for looking more. for at least a couple more years than that. It's so like yeah, Arietta's got four million or four year offers on the table. What about for the five? What six. about for the Brewers? What if they came in and said, you know, hey, Alex Cobb will pay you twenty four million dollars a year for you know two seasons, so two year forty eight million dollar deal. No, I'm not on that. I don't think I don't think Alex Cobb is is good enough that I would want that addition to my to my. Uh, to my rotation, especially with the news that uh, Jimmy Nelson's actually potentially coming along faster than expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. then you're only adding is, is Alex Cobb really somebody that's even going to stay in the rotation once Jimmy Nelson comes back? I mean, if you've got Nelson, Anderson, I would think so. I was going to say we did. We did get a question. I mean, Alex Cobb hasn't been that good. He hasn't been that good. He's been he's been a fine, you know, fourth starter. Right. When so has Chasin. And Chassin's actually had much more of an ability to take the ball than Alex Cobb. Oh, I would think somebody like Woodruff would get bumped before somebody like Cobb would get bumped. But yeah, I guess I'd rather have. I and this is me personally. I if I'm going to go with a young starter in the rotation, I'm not going to be bouncing him up back and forth. If I'm going with a young starter in the rotation, it's I'm I'm sticking. Well, maybe okay, hold on a second. Since it came up, I'm okay. going to jump a ways down because we okay. did have a question asking what our expectations are for Jimmy Nelson this year. So since Whose question was that? Steve? That was from Derek Harvey. Yeah. Um, he asked what our expectations are for Jimmy Nelson, and he just brought up that he's operating under the assumption that you know Nelson's career is effectively done because it's a shoulder injury. Well, it's a different shoulder injury than the vast majority of shoulder injuries, so right. it's important to keep that in mind. It wasn't but, a complete tear of the labrum, which those are the real problematic ones. I think that was the Ben Sheets one. When the, the labrum completely tears, that gets, that gets into bad things. And it was a partial tear. I was going to say, for me, I have no idea. I mean, and I know that that's a cop-out. Like, that's not a very satisfactory answer. I have zero idea. But they seem to be more confident about it. There hasn't been like, well, we're making plans to basically not have Jimmy Nelson be an effective part of the rotation moving forward. Absolutely. But I think if you're the organization, you can't. You have to expect that Jimmy Nelson's coming back. I mean, in my opinion. Now... I I basically took that attitude, the I don't necessarily expect, I'm not expecting anything out of him, especially in 2018, but I need to see something before I start having expectations again. But I'll admit, since hearing about, you know, the, the fast recovery and all that, I've started to, it's creeped into my mind now where I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe we are looking at a, a pretty decent chunk of time from Jimmy Nelson this year, but... I still I don't know what you can really plan on. I mean, a decent chunk of time is still probably after the All Star break. Mm, yeah, I, I, you think I mean, earlier it could be quicker. I the way that they were making it sound, it sounded like it could be quicker than that. I guess I was thinking it was going to be late August, almost September before we I mean, really saw already, anything. If he's already starting a throwing program, that's right. He's about and six to eight weeks yes. ahead of what they thought he'd be. Right, and let's not discount yeah. the healing powers of intense doses of oxygen. Yes, we know you like the hyperbaric chamber. Yes, the hyperbaric chamber. It's, it's sits his little oxygen which, tomb. Which, by the way, yes, pretty Ryan's, sure Ryan's about any kind of conspiracy theory that you're based. It's forward. not conspiracy. It's just what I do love though was the the mention in McAlvey's piece where he goes, he bought it from a recently retired player in Houston, and I was like, oh, Carlos Beltran. <laughs> he didn't use no. his Carlos Beltran didn't really use his hyperbaric chamber because he said it was very gently used. He got a deep discount on a very gently used hyperbaric chamber which yeah so it's it's probably carlos beltran's maybe chamber. maybe gently used means he just slept a lot in it so he didn't say what kind of hyperbolic chamber is like heavily used well nelson apparently he he did his interview from it yes he did yeah and he said he could take his ipad in but he can't get his video gaming system in there 
So, yeah. Well, can't you, like, prop it up so that way he could see the screen and hold the controller? Yeah, there's not a lot of... I mean, yeah. I can't... You'd be on your back the whole Unless time. Unless he's now. got one... Well, that's why I said you'd have to, like, tilt it up. Like, you know, he, I mean, you could probably pay to get something to, you know, prop Like a it hospital up. bed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. You, should, you should play us out this show with uh, 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 Radiohead, My Iron Lung. Okay, you can pay for that. Yeah, I was gonna. Say, I was gonna say with the vast majority, with the vast you know amount of funds that we bring in, which is zero dollars. But if you want to sponsor us, go right ahead. We'll accept any offer. So, um, should I keep moving on? Yes. Okay. Of course. Uh, oh, uh, okay. Justin Spawnbauer asks, "What's the lowest our opening day payroll could be before you feel like the Brewers should be spending more?" Ryan, you're the one who usually does the math on payrolls, so. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at this before. Right now, you figure that they're right around seventy million. I think we talked about this last week. Mm-hmm. They're sitting right at about seventy million. Once you add in the, that, uh, that's making no moves from here on out. Right, that's adding in the the twelve players at the league minimum. So it's it's about that. Um, seems a bit low for me. I kind of get back to what I was talking about before. Like, this is where I would say, if you if you're looking at them with a $70 million payroll and we see some guys that sign and we see that they sign for pretty reasonable amounts. Yes. You can't assume that that just, you know, a little bit more than that would have gotten that player to come to Milwaukee, but it does indicate that there's at least there were opportunities that they decided not to take there. The more you see of that, the more it indicates that there were opportunities they decided not to take because they didn't like the, the value on it. And I think that can be, you can at least question it. You can say that that's, you know, maybe maybe they could have done more at that point. But, um, you know, 70 still seems pretty low. This team can support a higher payroll than that, has supported a much higher payroll than that. So I know that they're looking to get value, you know, dollar for dollar value, but they they could probably do better than this, I think. What are the points of the payroll that'll be increasing in the coming years? I mean, so, Ron's pretty steady from here on out, right? Braun's pretty steady, and actually, that that figure, that seventy million figure, is not actually what the payroll is this year because Braun, four million of it's deferred. Sure. So it's actually more. But like anyways, 66, point was, but yeah, Braun's pretty stable going yeah. forward. Shasin uh, um, is six point seven five next year. Uh, Thames last year under contract is six, and Chase Anderson is six point five. And other than that, it's all arbitration, guys. I was going to say, they're all kind of around those prices moving forward, too. There mm-hmm. aren't, like, major increases in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's really – it's they have a lot of payroll. I mean, committed payroll next year, they have $38 million. Now, when you consider the RB guys, it's actually really more than that. But, I mean, it's well, – they have lots I, of room. JP, do you think there's a price then for Arietta? you think they should just, you know, push it to and say, we can afford this, it's worth it? I mean – I mean, if they were paying him $24, $25 million a year for five years, he probably wants a little more than that. But, I, I mean, that's something they could support, isn't it? I mean, I think in a vacuum, yes. Uh, I think the biggest scenario in which this becomes problematic is that uh, don't necessarily – I don't. I guess to answer the question, first of all, like specifically, do I think that they should be spending more um, – I don't think spending more is a panacea for everything. I also do, I also understand that people want to see teams spending more because there've been there's been so much talk about the increased profits, the Marlins situation, all of these things about like not wanting them to spend more is say taking the size taking the side of the owners or whatever you want to say in, you know, something that's nicely dualistic and doesn't explain a lot. Um so I don't think just because you can spend more means there's an opportunity to go out and spend more because you're still in a situation in which you have a 40 man roster to pay attention to. You still have a 25 man roster. Like this is not a situation in which you can just go and buy as many people as you can with the money that you have in your pocket. You still have to worry about what that means for the players that you still want to keep on the roster going forward. And you don't want to expose to waivers. Um, I think for Arietta, I still think that, what the brewers want is a four year deal at a higher price point, which will then allow them to spend more money that they have available now that they don't necessarily know if it will be available in the same respect in 25 in five years. Um, I am also, I also generally think uh, for some teams, 
I happen to not think that the Brewers are necessarily one of them, but I do think for some teams, you're in a situation in which money doesn't really matter anymore in the broad scheme of things. I do understand that for the Dodgers, for the Yankees, for the Cubs, the, the GMs are still given budgets. But I think that for a team like the Cubs, if they wanted Arietta, they could outspend the Brewers, no question. Right. Um, so it's still a situation in which you have to still play around with those things. But no, I don't think that they should go pay more just to pay more because then you're getting into a situation in which you're you're potentially blocking pass to the big leagues for some of the prospects that we all want to see. You're taking up roster sp- uh, roster spaces. Like it's not just. I, I don't like the idea that the, that people just want the Brewers to do something because it makes them feel better. But you're you're okay it, you're okay with them pushing a a yearly value on an area if it's a shorter term deal. You you yeah, see more absolutely. of an issue of locking them in long term and not having flexibility. But the idea that they pay a lot of money, you know, for a short term deal on a guy isn't something that kind of freaks you out for, you know, three, four years. No, and I'm actually not 100% sure that I wouldn't agree with a five-year deal on Arietta, um, depending on what situation it is. Like, I haven't necessarily broken down the money, but I whether or not it's a four-year deal at $25 million, $30 million a pop, or whether it's a five-year deal at $25 million, I don't think that's necessarily going to be anything that hamstrings the, the organization. And they've got so much and so many prospects coming through the system right now that I don't think that they're going to have a problem being able to fill up the roster with with talented guys from the 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 from the the minor league system in order to save money if they need to. Um, but I also think that Mark Atanasio is ready to open up the wallet, um, and I think it's just a matter of trying to make it work. Yeah, and I think you know it, what we've seen is Stearns is pretty savvy and is not going to Stearns isn't going to do something just to do something. I think we could pretty readily say that at this point. Well, we're making that assumption. We haven't had really enough off seasons to say that. Well, I, mean, I we, think what we you can say about examples. David Stearns is that I think what David Stearns does is he goes somewhere and says, this is our offer and will not move. And I think you've seen that in trades. I think, I mean, there, there's a certain amount of negotiation that'll happen. Um, but I mean, basically that's what was happening with the entire relief market is the brewers went out and said, this is what we're willing to spend. Uh, that's what they said happened with Anthony Swarzek is that the Brewers offered like $2 million or a $1 million less and that they weren't willing to move on it, that they were willing to say that this is exactly what our offer is. You can take it. Um, I think that brings a certain amount of transparency to it. Um, I think for agents and players in general, but I, I think if you can say anything about Stearns is that he's very, uh, the, the offer that is made is the offer that the organization wants to stick to. So you don't, jumping off of that, if it came to the Brewers where basically um, the they had an offer on the table for four years and $25 million a year to Jake Arrieta, and Boris turned around and said, okay, you know, if you go to 115, four years, 115, um, that'll get it done you know, do you think David Stearns walks away from that? Just on the principle of he doesn't want to spend that extra 15 million over four years? I mean, probably not. I I still think that he would potentially be willing to to be open to that. I know Mark Gattinasio would be open to to that. I was going to say, that's kind of what I think. I think that there's some flexibility at the final stage. But I also also don't think that Scott Boris is is in any situation right now coming back to the Brewers and saying with any kind of counteroffer. I think they're that both sides right now are basically saying the Brewers are like, this is where we're at. Scott Boris says, this is what we want. And right now they're just waiting to see who budges first. I mean, do we think this offseason is more a standoff on dollars or years for players? Years. I think, I think it's years. It, yeah. it is. Teams just aren't giving out those. What was the last like eight or yeah, nine year deal that was given out? They really don't want to. Yeah, they don't want to end up, you know, dealing with guys who are 40, 41 years old or something being owed 20 plus million dollars. That's not well, it's a, that business. It's a situation in which, well, yeah, but they don't have to. Sure. If like if you're if you're a team right now, you don't have to spend you don't have to go that many years. There are not enough people that are on the table right now willing to negotiate to make you go that long. The entire reason why. Pujols' deal went as long as it did. A-Rod's deal went as long as it did, even though that actually financially turned out to be quite a good deal. The only reason that 
those existed was because they had to. If the if you didn't go that far, you weren't going to get get these players. And right now, there's a situation in which basically you've got JD Martinez saying, "I want six years, two hundred million, or whatever," and everyone goes, "That's super nice. We're not going over five. You ever think about the alternate universe where uh, Albert Pujols? Albert Pujols <laughs> said, <laughs> Ryan, "Ryan likes to think about the uh, Major League Baseball multiverse, where where <laughs> Albert Pujols said yes to the Cardinals' ten year, twenty two hundred thirty million dollar offer that they made." Uh, during the 2011 season i mean i've I've actually i haven't even thought about that once that is (laughs) i mean you think about what position the cardinals could potentially be in i think they knew there was very little chance so that's why you've been thinking about it because you like you like to imagine situations in which the cardinals organization is just in shambles (laughs) yes i do like i do like to think about they had an old albert pujols and old yadier molina and they had no place for anybody else to actually get on the field and play i mean we can dream right yeah there has to be like a utopia out there that you know counters this uh, dystopia i was gonna say we're uh there ha- we're, we're living in utopia. we're living in the darkest timeline right now so timeline. um anyways uh at beer the deer our buddy there uh asks assuming teams keep not spending any money how long until the next lockout you want to take this jp or you want me to start <laughs> go for it okay um and a lot of this comes from the passing article from this week that jp was talking about too um there seems to be, and and not just that, but also things that Ken Rosenthal's talked about on MLB Network. Players are legitimately really pissed off right now. They are they are really really angry, and they they see the gains that they gave up, and the things they've lost over the last uh, decade of couple CBAs, especially the last one, but even going back before that, and they are really mad, and they want. They want to get background. Wait, if you make concessions to billionaires, you mean it doesn't like just come flooding back to you and dollars uh, trickling down, I guess you could say? I mean, there was a line in that Passon article where he said uh, that there was an MLB executive walked out of like the last negotiations and like shook his head and like kind of laughed and said something like, well, they don't really care about money anymore because they were more concerned about getting an extra seat on the bus at spring in spring training and a, a clubhouse right, chef but, and that but stuff. Those, but in, in the vast majority of things, those things still matter. And I get that so many people are going to make fun. Like our people want to make fun of those sorts of things. But if you're an established player, like those things you want to, to negotiate for them, but you know, whether or not it's like having a chef in every clubhouse, like, so you can eat properly and, and you can make sure that these things are done. Like those things matter. That they seems don't. like something a team would want to make sure that their players don't turn into a bunch of fat asses out there. You right. Would, you would, you, you would, would think. think so. Yeah. Uh, you would also think that they want them for the minor league organizations too, to make sure that their development was Which, happening as, be- as good, as good as it possibly can, but they don't, they'd much rather have them be on buses and go eat at Burger King at two in the morning. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's come out, you know, it's relatively recently they were talking about diet for minor league players and it's yeah. awful because they don't provide anything. And yeah, you'd think, like, you're investing money in these people. This is some sort of like and, and social Darwinism experiment. Like, like, what is even? All the organizations are like, but we provide you sandwiches and all of these things. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, that you collect dues from us to make we, sure that they're paid for that way. We have a Costco um, membership so you can get tubs of peanut butter. Well, and that's unrelated, but there have been, there've been uh, increasing issues where the owners have been like, who was it? It was the Mariners or the White Sox or the White Sox players wouldn't do about. the Mariners. It was they were collecting the team. It used to be a deal strictly between the clubbies and the visiting team. The visiting team would pay their dues to the clubbies and they would put out the spread. And the team started to say, well, we're going we're gonna to take the money now instead of the clubbies getting it. And oh, yeah. the players then refused to pay the dues. They wouldn't pay for it because they're like, no, we're not paying. And they were doing it in solidarity with the clubbies saying, no, you don't get to take their money. Like, right, this right. is a deal between us. This is our thing. You don't interfere. Back off. Like, but, leave that but alone. I think- to, to more address the the question, I think one of the things that people don't necessarily realize with the players organization and the players union is that they have routinely been been willing to sacrifice minor leaguers, whether it, it's with, you know, uh, drug testing or all, you know, whether it's pitch clocks, whether it's all these things, whether it's the international market to try to make sure that there are hard caps here, because the argument has always been, if you limit the amount of money going to these young players, to amateurs, that will come back to the veterans. Do you think that's, that's the argument? 
hold on. Do you think that's the argument, or do you think it's more just about they don't represent the minor leaguers? Minor leaguers aren't in the MLBPA, so that's always been why they've been willing to play ball on that. Right, because they're not represented. Right, that's what I'm saying. They're not represented. They don't have representation. Okay, absolutely. But they've recognized if you can make more money available for the veterans, the argument has been they will get it, and that's been the whole argument against for arbitration is if you can provide savings for the team when you're in your years one to six with the organization, it will come back to you once you sign in free agency, and that's no longer happening. So that. The argument now is that the system needs to change because the entire calculus in terms of how players have been, uh, how they've been able to recoup their money is broken and it's not happening. Hold on. Have they gotten to the point where for these free agent players to make more money, they need to basically pay young players like so that way like if the floor goes up teams can't look and say well we're going to take our chances on these two three minor leaguers to see if we can hit over you know going out and signing sure production from a a veteran have they gotten to that point where they need to start paying the guys at the bottom basically to make the guys at the top make their value I guess work better for teams. Minor Absolutely, le- minor leaguers need to make more. One. Well, and that's a completely separate issue because, like that we said, a, that is they, a, they aren't represented. So that's gotta, that's right. a completely but other that's fight. Part of it, but it is number two. They probably need to cut a control year. You probably they need to cut. They either need to cut a control year or arbitration needs to start a year earlier. Sure, those thing. Both of those things would help. Um, the other thing that could really help, and I've heard this, and I've I think this is a pretty decent way to do it. I don't know how you'd ever get the owners to agree to it, but if you came up with some system where every team in the big leagues was required to put money into a pool and that money then was split among the zero to three players at the end of the season, based on how well they performed in terms of like bonuses where players basically got, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be a ton of money, but it would be something so that Mike Trout isn't making $500,000 as a 10 war player in his second and third year in the big leagues. Like that was absolutely asinine. And, but that's the system that they negotiated. It is the system that they negotiated. They negotiated, which is why the entire point now isn't so much that they're saying they are mad that the, the off season is happening in the way it is. Right. I mean, they're upset because there are so many guys right now that are that you know are dangling in the wind and all of these things but that's why people have misunderstood what the passing article is really about the the passing argument is not really about this offseason it's what this offseason represents going forward and it is saying that this is not a bug this is now a feature of the free agent system based on how players and teams are being evaluated and how teams are evaluating who they want to sign and so the the way that money is uh, distributed to players needs to fundamentally change because what is happening right now is not going to change. But how then, hold on, how then does that happen? And the only way I can think of is with a work stoppage. Well, hold on. The owners aren't just the owners aren't just gonna gonna throw up their hands. No, exactly. Hey guys, we really got the better of you those last couple times. Let's make it even. That's have have we gotten to the point where players are willing to band together for this? Because it seems like we we have a group of players right now that's you know kind of say like I'm gonna get mine, you know because. I work hard. I've been productive. I'm going to hit free agency. I'm going to get mine. So the system works for me. Have we hit the point where that doesn't doesn't work? I was going to say, we've hit that point where they can all agree that system does not work for them anymore. But now the system doesn't work for the veterans and it doesn't work for the young players. Two things that are going to have to happen. One, they're going to have to really get everybody on board because going out on strike and doing like an actual labor stoppage is difficult it did not work in the nba it did not work in the nfl no it, the owners waited i wouldn't those say it teams. didn't work in the nba eh, they waited the owners waited them out and got most of what they well, wanted well what's the they've gotten point? some concessions but anyways yeah keep anyway the hold on but the point was is that so they have to they're gonna have to really have everybody together they're really gonna need everybody on the same page the other thing right. they have to get is i don't know if tony clark can be the chief negotiator. No, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. They need a wartime consigliere. Yeah, I think that's kind of you need somebody. You need you need Marvin Miller. You need Don Fear. You know, you need that kind of guy who is a a labor lawyer who has been through the wars and like knows how to to get 
the shit done. And that's yeah. probably not Tony Clark. I don't want to get overly political, but are we in a political environment where the players can do this <laughs> and not take the hits that they generally do when they when a lockout or a strike happens? They're going to get annihilated for it. You think regardless of what happens? They're going to get annihilated by the general I, I think baseball. I think if you're in a situation and who has always union has been the veterans and the veterans are the ones getting screwed in the system right now so if you want to know if whether if you want to know if players can band together through it you bet your ass they can because it's the veterans who a teach the young players how to do this they're their mentors they're the ones who set the situation the the set the examples in the clubhouse via contracts via who they work with for agents and if you have scott boris coming around on, on wanting this this labor stoppage he's going to be able to pull something together as well so i know i don't care i personally don't care if it's a situation in which you know they get they, they get you know uh, uh lambasted in, in the public eye or whether or not that means baseball doesn't exist for six months like this is a system that's broken and I and I think it's a situation in which it needs to get handled. Otherwise, this is what's going to happen to a more to to a greater and greater degree every single year. And it's a, it's now a system in which nobody is being nobody is getting the money for what they're being uh, what they're producing on the field. Whether it's veterans, whether it's young people, whether it's people in arbitration, it's it's now the only players that are going to be adequately you know paid are like the mythical 27 year old free agents that don't happen anymore because teams are now getting guys to, to take, you know, contract extensions in their arbitration years. And next year, it's going to be a bit of a mirage because you have some of those guys, you have a Bryce Harper on the market, you have a Manny Machado on the market. So it's going to seem next year, like things have gone back to normal. I don't know if pa- did Passon mention that I think in his article where next year, it's going to seem like things have kind of gone back to normal, but it won't really be normal. Like unless you see the the middle market continue or going back up as well, and we'll so we'll see. Um, I do think so. If you're if you're thinking about this from from their perspective, and I think we need to say because there's I'm sure there are people listening right now who are going, well, how can you say the players are getting underpaid? They're making millions of dollars, and That's they're making a stupid opinion. Ru- so let's explain why that's not correct. One well, of the but issues hold on. Is, People hold do on. understand that billionaires own these teams now. That's more than they used to. But not everybody who's listening necessarily understands that you were talking about billionaires versus millionaires here. And we're also talking about a situation where MLB has fallen behind the other leagues in terms of the percentage of the total revenue going to the players. MLB has fallen into the lower 40%. Everybody else is up above 50 and so baseball had been the leader in this and had been really doing well in terms of bringing in revenue. Baseball's fallen well behind the other leagues in terms of getting a total piece of the pie. And they're going to have to fight to get that back or it's just going to keep shrinking because this system that has been negotiated and that has been set up is clearly pushing things the other direction in a, at a rate that I don't think anybody really saw coming. I don't think anybody really anticipated. We thought that the owners won the last CBA. There was a lot of talk about that. Didn't know they won it this hard. That it was it had that the victory had been quite as big as what it apparently is. And so, again, and- I don't think it would necessarily be a situation in which it would be this bad if if the league wasn't as stratified right now, right? Yes. If you had a if you had a ton, if you had a ton of, of uh, if you had a ton of teams right now that were competing. You mm-hmm. would have a situation in which the the issues of this offseason wouldn't be as pronounced, right? It's it's not so much. It's a combination the, of factors, right? Like this is an extreme, extreme, extreme example of that shows the issues in the system right now, right? Sure. It's it's not saying that next season is going to be that this bad, or the season after that is going to be this bad, or people are, are going to, or like every winter is going to see free agents hold out longer and longer and longer. It is the extreme nature of this offseason is showing the inequities in the CBA, and it's showing the flaws within the the, the monetary distribution system that ba- that the baseball economy has right now. Right. And it's, it's, it's taking 
that understanding to look at the underlying systems that are causing it to try to see how you can fix this, not to say that everything going forward is going to be this bad. Okay. So basically what we want to say, if there are any players who are listening, you need to go get a bulldog to be your uh, player representative for the next negotiation. Yes. Like Tony Clark's not going to get it done. Well, I mean, Clark, I don't know. You need, and I'm, I'm a, I'm sure the MLBPA has really good professional negotiators. Sure, not former but players, as far as the head like, of the Players Association. I don't know. I mean, if he could be the head of the Players Association and have somebody who's the chief negotiator who's really good at it, I don't think... I always think it's same. questionable when you have a former player, though. Yeah, there is something to like, that. Get, yeah. get somebody who's a labor negotiator for it. So, um, anyways... I. We're getting towards the end of this. So I do want to move on to something a little bit lighter than labor negotiations uh, moving forward. So um, Steve Romanesco asks, uh, hello, Milwaukee Steelgate. I've been a listener for the last few months now and really enjoy the podcast. It's helping me get through the offseason. As somebody who's an out-of-state fan, I primarily listen to games with MLB radio spurred by a love of Bob Uecker. But with him getting older and seemingly doing fewer games each year, when do you think retirement will happen? And is there anybody you'd like to see take his spot? Thanks for the Brewers fix every week. So first I, of all, first of all, Steve, thanks for listening. You help us get through. I mean, literally everybody's questions and us doing the podcast has helped us get through the off season as well. Otherwise I think all of us would just like scream on Twitter more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does help. We so. would fight among ourselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, Ryan, do you have any, uh, I guess anybody you want to see take over the Brewers have always done a good job of getting radio and TV announcers. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. They like have. they've, they've done a great job through the years, whether it's mm-hmm. um, who's down in Chicago. Oh, Len Casper and, uh, um, uh, Oh, cause I was going to uh, go to Jim. Pat Hughes. Pat yeah. Hughes. Pat Hughes, Jim Powell, Corey Provis. Um, Joe Block. Joe Block was great. Joe Jeff Block. Levering is already doing well. I mean, he was doing the, the Big Ten game the other night. Yeah. yeah. Levering, and, Levering and Grindle now. Lane Grindle. I was going to say, I would have absolutely no issue with Levering and Grindle. The one thing, just an aesthetic thing, their voices are almost identical. No, it is. It it's is. hard to tell the difference. <laughs> but I felt that same way with with Paul and Euchre at times, too. Yes. There was there was that, yeah. Um, or no, I always thought Hughes and Euchre, maybe. Okay. That was so many years ago. I can't even remember anymore. But yeah. Um, So I would say that, though, the big thing that I want, and I know Steve agrees with this, is I want to see the format stay the same. I do not want to go to a color man um, and play-by-play announcer. I like the format where you have two guys in the booth and they alternate basically calling the game. And there's some conversation when it's warranted, but it's mostly one-man call. And they take, you know, turns. I know that on the road now, when so when they're home, it's still Euchre does the first and the second. Gr- or, uh, Levering. Levering does the third and the fourth. Euchre, 5-6. Levering, the seventh. And then 8-9 for Euchre. And when they're on the road, it goes 3-3-3 three, three, three instead. Say, it's a little more even split. Or, well, no, it's, even, just, but it's, it's more yeah. compact. Yeah, it's they split it up that way. I would like to keep it... I would like to keep that format. I think that's a much better, more radio-friendly format. It's not on TV. You don't need to do that. But on radio, where so much of it is describing the action, I think that it's it really is good well, to have I, that format. I like that they're two different broadcasts. Like, I'm, it's not, you know, the TV and the radio broadcasts are basically trying to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, so... and. And Anderson is great, obviously. As long as that guy wants to stay out. Everybody keeps asking how long is Brian Anderson going to stay here because I think we all know that he's a great announcer and it could be at any moment, you know, somebody bigger plucks him for a national gig. So, um, but I I really miss Block when he left. I did too. And I think it was a very specific situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know how much of this is, is me being completely out there, but with how much he's been getting involved in Brewers media things in the last 12 months. Oh yeah. I've been wondering if Tim Dillard is being primed for a radio spot in some regard, because he's got, I do wonder if they are, are tipping him to be somebody that can kind of bring Euchre's irreverence, humor, knowledge of the game, um, 
but it's just been striking how much they have been putting him front and center they with have. so much of their media stuff that I've wondered if they think that maybe Levering can be the main guy and that like Dillard, somebody that can just get involved in the radio, or the radio broadcast in in some sort of capacity. Well, and going uh, back to that's Euchre, the thing that I've been thinking of. and going back to Euchre, he did not do single calls on Indians when he first started. No, that that evolved when we were kids. Yeah, that evolved. That was not something he didn't just sit, you know, by himself in a booth. You well, Euchre's done everything. He also used to do for people that are all, as old as we are and remember this. Euchre used to do national games as the color man on NBC with Costas and was it Joe Morgan? Oh God, I don't remember. I think it was all. Co- I know uh, yeah. Costas for sure. He, he would call like he called World Series games. I think he was on the call for the uh, Levon Hernandez game for the the Eric Gregg the sixteen strikeout that thing. I want to say he. Was I want to say Euchre called those national games longer than I think we realize sometimes. He was well into the nineties. Yeah, it was mid nineties, late to late nineties. Um, I will say this: if if that's going to be the way it goes, Tim Dillard, if you're listening, which you're not, but if you're Become a play-by-play man. Euchre was a player and became a play-by-play man. That's, this is not something that has not happened. L- learn how to do a call. Yeah, the like, ability to do a call and call the action on the field. Because it's easy to come in and try to be the cut-up. I shouldn't say it's easy. but It's, it's not the, easy to do it well. Yeah, it's not easy to do it well. It's easier way to come in and I'm, I'm the cut-up. And eventually that shtick wears thin. Right. So the ability to actually do play by play is like the legit thing that I think, you know, someone like that would need to learn. But as of right now, with both Levering and Grindle, if they just decided going forward they were going to go with those two, I think I, I know Ryan and I would be happy with it. JP. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I don't know if you listen to, to, I don't know if you listen to him more or if you do more. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I mean, uh, I actually tend, I tended last year because. Uh, just to, for my own living situation where I didn't have a car and I was walking to campus a lot and walking back from the library, it's a solid half hour, 35 minute walk that like, I would just pop my headphones in and listen, listen to the radio call either on the way to the library on the back uh, way back to the library when I'd be doing going for a run or something like that. Absolutely. I mean, I listened to the radio broadcast probably more than I actually uh, listened to the television See, broadcast last year. A lot. You talk about coming back from the library and I'm like, Oh, I'd listen to him, you know, as an old man while I'm mowing the lawn. No, nobody else does that. I don't mow the lawn. I'm the only one here that has to mow a lawn, so I'm sitting no, here. I've got to mow. I've got to mow the lawn as well, but I don't listen to. I, I guess I don't listen to the game when I'm mowing the lawn. Well, I, I work all day, so it's after the end of the day. I get to come home and you know eat dinner and mow the lawn, and usually about that time is when the game's starting. Hashtag I was at the I was at the life. library all day today, and I'm going to be heading back to the library as soon as we're done with this. Researching more about free agency and labor issues. No, preparing for re, I I am currently responsible for about 185 books over the next uh by September, however many months that is. What? I don't know. Nine responsible months? for them as in what transcribing like the monks used to do? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, in, in calligraphy with really intense like borders and and good color color prints all of that. Get really good candles. If you're gonna you know, be mock transcriber, like get really good candles. Like, hey, we had that Belgian that's... triple. We were just drinking. You, did you have it? I had it. Oh, they're good, right? Oh, you didn't have it. It was just I me. Had, well, I had one last night. Okay, but... well, that's why I got a little tipsy during the the show. <laughs> right? Yeah, that triple is not weak. It is not a weak beer. That's a ten. That's a ten percenter. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's good to know. Well, at least I didn't. At least I didn't drink both of them. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, it's it's strong. Well, have you ever known a triple not to be strong? I mean, that's what no, they are. That's what they are. Yeah. That's what they are. So, any other comments on the uh, radio guys before we wrap this up? Um, no. We like radio. Baseball is a sport that's lent to that. So I mean, and I think one of the best things about radio, in my mind, is that radio radio announcers. I think Euchre does this especially well, and obviously Vin Scully did it very well whether it's radio or television they're not afraid to be silent that's yes, so exactly big. that's absolutely something i think is underrated when you're watching television broadcasts it's just every moment has to be filled and i think listening to it on the radio with just because you know you've got the din of the fans behind you've got a situation in which you're not necessarily you know waiting with bated breath to see what's happening or watching people and want analysis like having the ability to just 
even just for 30 seconds, uh, like just be quiet, I think is, is something that's really underrated. Um, and I think that Brewers announcers, whether it's Euchre, whether it's other people have done it very well. I I've listened to other radio broadcasts for teams and, and they don't do it nearly as well. Yeah. Uh, I think there's something with an older generation of, of broadcasters. Uh, maybe they weren't brought up in television or maybe they weren't like doing, you know, television color game. They were the color commentator and then they like switched the radio booth or something like that. Um, but I think there's something that's a lost art in that. Um, it's something that I've appreciated much more. Uh, I think in the last probably five years or so. And there's something to be said for the build of when action actually happens, when you can have moments of silence. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get that big play, you get that big defensive play, or you get that big, you know, home run or something like that. All of a sudden that, you know, especially when Euchre does it, all of a sudden that call explodes. And again, I think it just has that much more impact. Mm -hmm. So again. Well, and, and Euchre does something that I think, I know it probably annoys some people, but I've always found it very endearing in which like, especially in blowouts, like you could just get, Yuger's just going to tell a story for a bit. Oh and, no, and that's the best in, part. And calling, and and calling the game becomes less important. Right. And then once in a while he'll be like, uh, yeah, it's a full count or maybe it's two and two. I don't know. Yeah. Man, <laughs> and then there's he'll just like, get back to the story. There's how as many, long as it's in a blowout, that's good in closer games. It, that gets a little, but, but doesn't it doesn't get, happen doesn't in close get, games as much yeah, as people doesn't like get to say derailed this. in close games. No, it doesn't. It doesn't happen as much in close. Games. But also, I mean, you have all the spring training games that they do, and then you have 162 games during the season. Yeah. You know what? There's plenty of time in in games that you know look like they're in hand to just kind of go off on a tangent. Well, like I think you're talking about. My, my wife was. She was like, "Why is he talking about catcher's gear? Because like Charlie O'Brien or something like that developed the new masks." And sure. Talking about catcher's gear for a while, and I'm like, you know, we're in the middle of August, and this game doesn't matter. Let's just <laughs> ride. It's a ten run. It's a ten run game in the sixth inning. I don't yeah, know. I'm it's like, just like, ride. I'd much rather hear about this. Yeah, ride whatever he's saying. You know, quit complaining. So it was perfectly fine. Yeah, I've had I've had people complain to me about uh, the the pauses and the extra long silences. Like I said, that's about that's, I think that's an acquired taste though. You have to, especially to do that. You have to really be a baseball fan to appreciate that. Cause otherwise it does seem weird. Cause remember I mean, sometimes though, you've got to have the, the radio, like the radio can be on and you're not intensely listening to it. Yes. And those silences are nice. Mm-hmm. Right. Because then when there's a silence and then, they start speaking again that jars you back to actually paying attention when you know something's actually happening that you should be paying attention to. Otherwise, like the conversation between pitches or the analysis or somebody's telling a story and then they're starting to tell you about the pitch and then they go off on something else. You start to lose what you should be listening to for the game and what you should just be listening to because it's a story. Sometimes you, you need the ability to just zone out for a minute and then be brought back. So, Hey, we're, we're not that far from games hitting the radio again. So at least we have that to look forward to, right? What do we got about six weeks? Uh, yeah, that's about right. About six weeks is usually the Brewers like are the usually around March, March 1st. Yeah. There's the always a game. You, you can find games happening kind of like that. The last couple of days of February, the Brewers aren't usually that group. They're usually around March 1st. So we're, we're getting there slowly, but surely soon. So anyways, no, we're, get, we're getting to best shape of their life territory. Oh, it's already started. Into, right? Yeah. I just saw yes. one. Well, yes. that, I love, I love that time. That Calcutta, happens, that's Craig Calcaterra's uh, shtick. It starts in like November now, but yeah, does, once yeah. you hit February and guys start, uh, you know, well, I say it reporting starts, to camp. I say it normally starts hitting you both when uh, people start reporting to camp, but also when people sign free agent contracts. Exactly. Yes. Uh, we haven't gotten which is why it hasn't started this early <laughs> but i mean we've already had a best shape of their life ish thing with jimmy nelson it's not quite best shape of their life but i mean no, we're getting we're getting health reports in the middle of winter when we can't really do anything more than to go he sounds like he's doing good because that's the that's the essence of the uh, best shape of their lives is that it's so unverifiable like the only way it's ever verifiable is if some dude just like looks like they've lost a bunch of weight like that's really all there is to it so it's just that's that's what makes it funny to me is that it's because it's all unverifiable. You just don't well, know. Yeah, for all we know, I, Jimmy Nelson's eating fried chicken inside that hyperbaric chamber. I mean, what I, I will I somehow say, really doubt and, that. And this is this is not subjective in any way. This is completely verifiable. I am not in the best shape of my life. So uh, <laughs> hey, we can we can put that out there early. Hey JP, spoiler for you, it doesn't get yeah. better. I've heard that. You've, you've hit the no, point where like, it doesn't get better. I know. So you know, you hear all this stuff always about like you know baseball players when they hit like 29 30 years old everything really you know hits a cliff 
And for, for the longest time, you're like, that seems really arbitrary. But like, man, I turned 29 and it just, I was like, my body feels like shit all the time. <laughs> like, and part of it is, is because I'm like hunched over and reading all the time. So that doesn't make it any better. But like, there's there's such a marked difference that now when anybody says like being 30 years old as a baseball player matters, I'm like, yeah, 100%. Totally does. Yep. Totally does. And so. then it also makes me think about like my dad who's 55 and says that he feels terrible. I was like, I can't even imagine how terrible. <laughs> how are you still living? <laughs> how do you? It's like Hans Wolman. <laughs> and now we'll talk about the constant pain that I live with every day of my life. <laughs> okay on that note we're gonna wrap it up so (laughs) as always follow us on twitter at mke tailgate and you can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our facebook page for milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on itunes soundcloud stitcher and in the google play store and you can leave reviews help people find the podcast you know when you leave those uh reviews and everything like that so uh thanks for listening and look for us again next week on milwaukee's tailgate there with the